are listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for June 2009. Today's episode is titled, How to Help Others. Notwithstanding the narcissistic tendencies of all humans, there is a natural desire for all of us to help each other. For many, helping someone is supporting that person's agenda. Encouragement, wisdom, and money are some common ways of supporting personal agendas. For a Christian, the starting point of all life is Christ. He is our creator, sustainer, and reason for being. Without Christ, there is no purpose for life. Indeed, there is no life at all. Since Christ is the foundation for life, the greatest way to help anyone is to introduce him or her to Christ. And the second greatest way to help is to assist them in finding and fulfilling their divinely ordained life purpose. Here is your business tip. Don't support personal agendas that are not built on Christ. Love people enough to make it a priority to help them find Christ and then help them develop a life plan based on Christ. And now Dr. Chester brings us How to Help Others. Well, let's start by talking about the purpose of life. Um, and to, for that, we go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, uh, where, where God lays out the creation of man, and he tells us uh, right here in the beginning why he made man. Uh, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule. And, of course, he's talking about ruling over his physical creation that he is in the process of making. So... Um, he further, furthermore, in two verses later, in, in uh, verse 28, he gives us uh, more specifics about how he intends for us to rule. He intends for us to rule by multiplying uh, and by mastering or subduing. So that's really fundamentally the role that man plays on this planet is to do that. Now, along the way, we ran into a problem, and that problem is called sin. And uh, sin blocks everyone, every human being, because when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden in Genesis 3, um, what, what they, they took on in terms of a sin nature is what they reproduced in their offspring. Because one of the basic principles of God's universe is you can only reproduce after your own kind. So there was no way that the heirs of Adam and Eve would avoid the sin problem. So consequently, all of us have it. Uh, here's a picture of my lovely wife with our grandson a few years ago. And uh, actually, when he was first born, I actually had some hope that maybe he would be exempt from that reality. But I've discovered since then that he's not. And he is like everyone else. He has a sin nature. Uh, Paul talks about this in the book of Romans, particularly the first three chapters are perhaps the most cogent argument uh, explaining the, uh, the reality of sin and how it's infected the whole human race. And the conclusion of his argument here is in Romans 3.23, where he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that means that we all fall short of his standard of righteousness. We all fall short of what is necessary to be acceptable with him. Ephesians 2.1 and 3 gives us another a basic um, uh, explanation of this same phenomenon. It's uh, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. This is a a group of uh, new Christians, and he's re re reflecting back on their pre-Christ days when he says, as for you, you were dead. That is, before you knew Christ, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. 
all of us also lived among them at one time. In other words, it just it, it just the Ephesians that have this problem. This is a systemic problem in the human race. All of us, every human being, has lived this way. And gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. In other words, our fundamental nature from Adam and Eve is that we are under judgment for sin. Then Titus 3, verse 3, it reads, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So you see, the picture here is human beings given a charge to rule God's creation, and then by virtue of their sin, they're now impaired in their ability to do that. And so we, we are born into a world with this defect that we have to deal with if we're ever going to get back to do what we're called to do. And, of course, there is a solution for the defect, and the, def the solution is Christ. And then we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. Then in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, it reads, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So this is the Christ that we've been introduced to, the Christ who is the creator of the universe, the Christ who is the sustainer of the universe, the Christ who is the reason and purpose for the universe. And so when we find Christ, we have found life, and we found meaning and significance in life. And so that's why that's the greatest thing we can do for anyone is introduce them to Christ. The second greatest thing we can do for anyone is now to help them discover their life purpose. Now I want you to notice uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It's a text that we're all familiar with and all know well. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can, can boast. And we all know that text well. We've memorized it. Uh, if you were like me, you memorized it when you were a child growing up in Sunday school. But what we didn't understand, or what I didn't understand, was the next verse, verse 10, which reads, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What he's saying here is that the primary reason you're saved is not to go to heaven. It is to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. So that's, that's the game we're in, the game of being released from sin enough to where we can do what God originally put us here to do. So if that indeed is, is the whole situation that we're in, we're trying to get to a point where we can, we can help people by introducing them to Christ and now by helping them discover the works that God has called them to do, one of the great ways that we can help them is to use the C4 principle. And of course, the C4 principle that you all are familiar with, having been through strategic life alignment, is a key principle for discovering your destiny in Christ. And of course, C4 stands for calling, which is the cry of your heart, character, which is your, your alignment with God, commissioning, which is your validation by authority figures, and capability, 
which is the skill and the ability you have. And it's when you put these four components together that you have the bullseye of your life. And that's the thing that God has called you to do, the good works that have been ordained from the foundation of the world for you to do. And you're released to do those things by virtue of the work of Christ on your behalf and your acceptance of that work. So for you to be able to really help others, you need to be engaged in finding your C4 life work, which means you need to be growing and maturing. And so I want to show you a little diagram that kind of explains how this fits together. You see at the very bottom under these categories of people, then you have those that are actually been converted. They're the baby Christians. And then, then the baby Christians, if they grow, they become those who grow in Christ. And those who grow in Christ, if they continue to mature, they become Christ-centered. And so you can see the bottom, if you look on the far left, you see the, the rebellion, which is the state at the bottom. And then as you move up to maturity in Christ, you come to the state of surrender. And, of course, that's the Christ-centered state. It's totally surrendered. So the, the challenge for all of us is to move to mature in Christ by moving through these three stages. <clears throat> Let's talk about how we move through these th three stages, these five stages. And, by the way, these five stages uh, are the stages that uh, Willow Creek came up when they did their study uh, on their church to try to really analyze the effectiveness of their church. And basically what Willow Creek discovered, among other things, was the reality, reality that their church was largely ineffective because they realized that the, the game was truly to make Christ-centered people, and they discovered they were not doing that, that basically they were pretty good at taking those who were curious about Christ and turning them into baby Christians. But at that point, th their effectiveness stopped. They were not good at helping people grow in Christ, and they were not good at helping people become Christ-centered. And so they realized that they were really not helping people mature. And so they concluded they were really not helping people very much. And that's an incredibly honest assessment. It takes a lot of humility to make that assessment, particularly when you realize this is the mother of megachurches, and it's regarded uh, with high esteem by many, many people across this country, around the world. In fact, most would view it a tremendous success. After all, they've got a huge building, they've got all these programs, they've got all these people, they've got this big budget, all these things going on. They have all the trappings of success, except they don't have Christ-centered people. And they don't have a lot of people growing in Christ. So that's why they said we're a failure. We have not done what we're supposed to do. And I have to, can't say how much I respect Bill Hybels and his staff for their honesty and acknowledging that and now trying to look at what they're doing and how they need to change so they can truly begin to make Christ-centered people. You see, the best way you can help anybody is to help them grow in Christ. Introduce them to Christ, help them grow in Christ, and then help them become Christ-centered. That's the best thing anybody can do. So as you think about how you transition from these five categories, and by the way, everybody on this planet is in one of these five categories. They're either far from Christ curious about Christ, baby Christians, are beginning to grow in Christ, or they're Christ-centered. There's nobody outside those five categories. Everybody fits someplace. So how you facilitate transition from one state or one category to the other is now the key thing. So, for example, in this first, uh, this first uh, transition from far from Christ to curious about Christ, the way that happens is there's some kind of reality check. For example, the Apostle Paul, when he's on the road to Damascus, on his way to kill more Christians, 
he had a reality check. And that reality check was a, a light that coming from heaven had blinded him and, and threw him on the ground. And then he became curious. And he said, who are you? You see, that's when you, when you become curious, you begin to ask questions. So he went from being far from Christ to curious very quickly. And that was caused by that reality check in Acts chapter 9. So now, now he's curious about Christ. Well, what happens next? Well, the only way you can transition from being curious about Christ to becoming a baby Christian is regeneration. You have to be born again. There's no other way to do it. That is the only way to do it. John 3 makes that very clear. You cannot see, which means perceive or understand the kingdom of God unless you've been born by the Spirit. And so that, that's what takes place next is the regeneration and baptism of believers into the body of Christ. So now they become baby Christians. So as baby Christians, they're like, like babies. They're kind of messy and dirty and nasty. And for them to grow up, they've got to now develop some disciplines. They've got to learn some habits for living. And that's what, that's what happens here. They develop spiritual dis disciplines, and that's what facilitates the growth to people who are now growing in Christ. They're beginning to act like Christ, look like Christ. It's like my little grandson. When he was first born, he couldn't walk. He couldn't talk. He couldn't hardly do anything. He could barely eat. He could kind of whimper and cry, and that was about it. Well, now three years later, he could walk, and he could talk, and he can do things. He's looking more and more and more like a human being because he's developing some patterns and disciplines of how to live. And so that's what happens to us spiritually. We have to develop patterns and disciplines that line up with Scripture to know how to live in a way that reflects Christ. So as we begin to do that and really take on more and more healthy spiritual disciplines, we begin gradually begin to incarnate the Word of God, which means we take on a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview. So as we do that, we take on that biblical worldview, gradually we're moving into becoming Christ-centered. And Christ-centered people are people who everything in their life is about Christ. Every decision is about Christ. Every thought is about Christ. Their whole desire is to please Christ. Everything is, the decision point is always, what does Christ want me to do? What would please and honor Christ? So that's the whole process we want to go through, is going up the chain of categories here to get to be Christ-centered. And that's where we are surrendered, we are mature, and at that point we've also probably got a pretty good sense of what we have C4 to do. Because you see on the far right, as you've gone through these categories, your ability to discern your C4 has increased. And I see it over and over again with people. As they mature in Christ, their ability to see what they've been called to do, the works that God's created them to do, becomes more and more clear to them. Well, that's the progression that happens through maturity. You discover your C4 as you mature in Christ. And another way to look at it, as you are pursuing your C4, you're facilitating your maturity in Christ. So... This is basically the process of really how to help people, is you need to figure out where they are, what category they're in, and once you know what category they're in, you know something about how to help them move to the next stage. And so that's the way you begin to disciple them from one stage to the next until you've turned them into Christ-centered people. So the summary here, steps to maturity in Christ are, maturity in Christ releases you to your C4 life purpose. And there are three key steps to maturity in Christ. 
And these are transformational steps. Okay, and really these are, you might call these the transition steps. When you're moving from curious about Christ to, to being born again, what's happened is you've moved into a new community. You have accepted a new identity. When you move from being uh, a baby Christian to a growing Christian, you are taking on new disciplines and habits. And when you're moving from a growing Christian to a mature Christian or a Christ-centered person, you're becoming, you're becoming a thinker who thinks and, and acts like Jesus does. And through this whole process, we need to understand that the greatest facilitator of this movement is the Word of God. It was a very interesting conclusion of the study that Willow Creek did when they looked at, at all of the various uh, facilitators of growth through these various stages or categories of people. They found there was one facilitator that appeared in every stage, and only one that appeared in every stage, and that was the Word of God. Interesting, nothing else was even close. You know, Christian books, websites, music, uh, radio preachers, none of that was even close. The only thing that appeared consistently in facilitating growth and maturity in Christ was people getting into the Word and digesting and growing in the Word, which is why we need to be so diligent about getting people into the Word on a regular basis. So let's just look at these transition steps in more and more detail. The first step is community. The first thing that a, a baby Christian has got to do is identify with the Christian community. They have been living as a pagan. They have been thinking as a pagan. They have been making all their decisions like pagans, self-centered self people who are in rebellion against God. And now all of a sudden they have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. So now they have to be connected to the community of believers. And you see that in Matthew 28. For example, in verse 28, verses 19 through 20, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You see that baptism is a, an act of identity, act of stating that this person now belongs to this community, this community of people that are followers of Christ. And so that's why it is so important that we baptize people. It is a statement of now a new identity and a new community that they're part of. Paul also talks about this reality in 1 Corinthians 12 when he talks about the body as one unit, though it is made up of many parts. You see, we as professing believers in Christ are connected together. The glue is Christ. He is the reason that we are connected together, and each of us different and have different things to do, different assignments, but we are all one in Christ. And in Ephesians 4, Paul continues by saying, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will, all, we will in all things grow up into him that, who is the head, that is Christ. So maturing and growing up, learning what you have C4 to do, is all about growing in Christ growing in how God made you and why he made you and what he's called you to do. That's what maturing is all about. And that's what we need to be doing is helping people mature in Christ. And, you know, when you stop and think about it, this is not only the job of the local church. This is what organizations of all types should be. This is what parents should be doing. This is what teachers and schools should be doing. This is what managers in business should be doing. This is what our public policy should be about calling people to maturity in Christ.
And this is the challenge we, we're in our culture because we have adopted this false idea of separation of, of church and everything else, which means separation of a biblical worldview and Christ from everything. We're trying to divorce Christ from, from schools, from our public policy, from our businesses, and pretty soon we're going to be taking it out of the homes as the, as the state's going to come in and take over the responsibility for the children. So we are in deep rebellion in our culture, and this rebellion is trying to take us away from the very thing that gives us our identity and will facilitate our maturity. So the next transition, going from, from being a baby Christian to that, that growing Christian, is all about discipline. It's about training. Notice uh, continuing in the Great Commission. It says that uh, after being baptized in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and it says the Holy Spirit uh, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you even to the end of the age. So what he's saying here is that the challenge for all of us is not learning doctrine. It's learning to obey Christ. You know, most people think Christianity is about just learning doctrine, learning certain theology. And you do have to know doctrine, and you have to know theology. But that's not the game. The game is teaching us to obey. That is training. The real game of Christianity is training people to think and act like Christ. And so to do that, you have to start training and practicing. This is a picture here of Tiger Woods. He's practicing with a coach. And, you know, this is the greatest golfer in the world, but he still has a coach because he knows he has to continually submit to the disciplines of learning how to play golf the way God designed golf to be played. And so that's a challenge for everybody. So you need, everybody needs to be coached, and you have to be coached in the fundamentals. How do, you, how do you grip a golf club? How do you stand up? How do you take your stance? How do you swing? You know, where you're what the biomechanics should be, how your finish should be, your balance, everything about how to hit a golf ball is what you have to be trained to do. Well, that's the same thing about growing in Christ. If you're going to be a Christian who makes decisions based on their relationship with Christ, you have to learn his commands. You have to learn how to live in God's universe. We have been trained, most of us have been trained largely by the world. Even if we grew up in Christian homes, most Christian homes today don't teach a biblical worldview of work, and they don't teach a biblical worldview of education. They don't teach a biblical worldview of church very well. A lot of churches don't even do that. So we, we have been trained, even in, in Christian settings, to think more like pagans than Christians. So we have got to, to study the Word and learn the commandments of Christ and then practice putting those commandments into practice. So that's a challenge for all of us. And just a simple example of this is, is thought-stopping. This is a simple command, you know, taking every thought captive. We all struggle with our thought life. We get into fear. We get into unbelief. We get into anger. And we get, in, we get, uh, we get into unforgiveness. All of these things happen to us. We have to practice taking those thought captive, and we have to replace those bad, bad thinking with truth. And so that's the challenge of learning these disciplines. First, you've got to know the, know the truth, and then you have to practice, which means you probably need a coach, a discipling partner, to hold you accountable, 
to practice and walk out these disciplines of the faith. So that, that's what facilitates now you growing from a baby Christian into a growing Christian, is you are now learning disciplines for how to live your life. And it, it covers everything. It covers what job you take and the decision process you went through to get that job. It, 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 it uh, covers how you use money, how you view money, how you choose your spend your money. It covers where you live and why you live where you live. It covers what church you go to and why you pick that church. It covers what you decided to do for your career. Everything in your life, you made a decision at some point, and you need to learn to think and make those decisions and choices based on biblical teaching, biblical commands, the teaching of Jesus Christ. This is what biblical worldview is all about. And finally, what facilitates the movement to the very highest level, the Christ-centered level, from, learn, from becoming a disciplined learner to become truly somebody who is Christ-centered in everything they do, what this is all about now is, is thinking. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 is, is a great picture here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, this is a powerful text. Romans 12 is a, a concluding chapter in this book. The first 11 chapters of Romans have been this most cogent uh, theological explanation of Christianity, starting with sin to the salvation we have in Christ to what that means to walk that out and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, even a discussion about how Israel fits into the whole picture. So it's a very comprehensive explanation of Christianity and now he's saying, therefore, in light of all that I have just explained to you in the first 11 chapters, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, I mean, it's incredible mercy that Christ came and died on our behalf and has saved us from the penalty of our sin. What an incredible gift that is. So in view of that incredible mercy, offer your bodies, offer your physical bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Well, living sacrifice is something that's dying for someone else. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to die for him so that we can do nothing but serve him. This is holy and pleasing to him. Furthermore, this is your spiritual act of worship. Today we, we, uh, we talk about music being worship. And the more I study scripture, the less convinced I am of that reality. I think real worship is being transformed into the image of Christ, growing in Christ, becoming Christ-centered. That is what real worship is. That's what Paul says here, is this is what he's calling us to do. And then verse 2, he gets more specific about how do we do this? How is it that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices? What do we do? Well, he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world are the principles of the world, the thinking of the world, the choices of the world, the attitudes, the culture, everything about the world, the worldview of the world. He says, don't do it. The worldview offers you a wrong world. Uh, the world offers you a wrong worldview. You need to let it go. 
Instead, you need to be transformed. And, and so that you now think like Christ, you don't think like the world. And so transformation here is an interesting word. It's the word that we uh, translate metamorphic rock. Metamorphic rocks are rocks that are, are, are formed under heat and pressure. And that implies and suggests that the way we are transformed is through trials and tribulations and challenges. And I suspect that everyone on this call would acknowledge they've had some level of that in their life. Well, we need to embrace those trials and tribulations as tools of change, as change agents, to cause us to now to challenge us to think more biblically about how we live and the choices that we're making. And when we do that, we are renewing our mind. We are getting our mind thinking like Christ. We are taking on a biblical worldview. So everything we look at, we look at through a biblical lens. And that's the challenge. Can we think biblically about everything? And the more we think biblically about everything, the more mature we are, the more we act like Christ and look like Christ and talk like Christ, and the more clear we're going to be about our assignment because our C4 is going to become clearer and clearer, and one day it will probably be totally crystal clear, clear to you because you'll know exactly what the works that God has called you to do and what he has created you to do. So it's interesting to note, as you're walking through this process of maturity, there is just this most incredible byproduct of this whole process. And that's the end of this verse 2 here. It says, then, notice that after, as, as you're walking through this process of transforming and taking on a biblical worldview and beginning to look and act like Christ and talk like Christ, then it says, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good and pleasing and perfect will. Now that says to me that if I'm not engaged in growing, I probably don't have much ability to discern his will. But as I am growing and maturing in Christ, I have this incredible ability to discern his will. And that now gives me direction on the works that he has created me to do. That enables me to discover my C4 and do the things that he created me for. This is just a a most incredible text. And if we can grab a hold of this and really start walking this out, this will truly be transforming. This is the greatest thing you can do for yourself is engage in maturing in Christ. And as you do that, you will be not only blessing yourself, you're blessing everybody around you because now you're going to be infecting others with the reality of Christ because you can't help it. You're so full of Christ, you can't help it. You exude Christ. It just comes out of your pores. You are so much like Christ, you can't help but think and act like him. That's the only way you can. My wife, you know, paid me a, a nice compliment a few years ago, and, and she said, you know, um, you, you've spent so much time in the Word that, you know, it's hard for you to do anything else but talk about the Word. And I said, yeah, well, that's, that's a very nice thing. That's a good place to be. I, I hadn't really thought about it, but that comes from years and years and years of just being in the Word, studying the Word, reading the Word, being taught the Word, learning the Word, growing in the Word, and that you just get so infected with it that it transforms everything in you, and then you're able to see with more and more clarity what God has called you to do. What a powerful thing. Oh, Lord, give us grace to do that. Now, here's the, the reality of all this. If we're going to help others, and the title of this message is about helping others. The, the way we help others 
is we have to grow in Christ. And we have to show them the way, lead them the way to maturity in Christ. And here's an example of, uh, of a gentleman that led by, by example. Uh, his name was Colonel Charles McDonald. He was a World War II ace in the Pacific Theater. He had 28 kills, which was not the most, but he was about the third or fourth highest ace. He was very respected by his men. And the reason they respected him was not because he told them what to do, but because he showed them what to do. He got in the air with it in his airplane, and he showed them how to fly the airplane. He showed them how to, to strategically use the airplane, how to tactically defeat the enemy. He showed them how to live. And that's what they respected about him. He wasn't somebody that just talked about it. He's somebody that did it. He lived it. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. Look at some of these texts here in the New Testament where Paul explains to us the power of leading by example. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Now, when I, when I used to read that as a young man, I thought that was a very cocky, arrogant statement. I didn't understand the power of example. But Paul is saying, look, I am so infected with Christ and so infected with the Word of God, I can't help it. I, I've got to live the way I live, and I'm looking like Christ, so do what I do. Imitate me. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1 says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What he's saying is, hey, I'm a good person to follow because I'm committed to following Christ. Philippians 4, 9 says, Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, do what I do. Follow me. Imitate me. I am a great example. I am a role model. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to be follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. In other words, Paul is always conscious about providing an example to others. And finally, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 9. We did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. You see, he's always thinking about being an example, being a model, being a role model, because he knows he can't infect people with something he's not walking in. He's got to be living it if he's expecting other people to live it. So if you want to help others, the first thing you do is you start getting infected with Christ, and you start growing. You start moving through the categories. If you're a baby Christian, start taking on spiritual disciplines. Get you somebody to help you. And get a disciple to hold you accountable and begin to, to take on those spiritual disciplines and then begin to incarnate a word of God. Transform your thinking. Think like Christ. Think biblically. Make decisions biblically. And you will mature and grow into a Christ-centered person. If you already have some spiritual disciplines in your life and you just need to continue growing up, then really focus on getting that biblical worldview in you. And that's what really facilitates your growth into being Christ-centered. And if you're a Christ-centered person, start being an example. You know, make sure that you are, are walking with integrity to everything you know and be committed to learn all that you can and walk in it and be an example for others. Find young people that you can begin to infect with what's in you. And so this is how we help others. We help others find Christ and grow up in Christ, and in the process they find their C4 life purpose. So Lord, give us the grace to do this and to do this well in Jesus name